Morning, everyone. It's good to see you here today. It's sort of our mixed crowd, some people away for Thanksgiving, some people joining for Thanksgiving. It's good to have you online as well. And uh, we have this last message before we begin our series in James. And if you've not been contacted yet, if you signed up for a life group but have not been contacted yet, you will get contacted this week. A lot of people are placed already. Not everybody is placed, but it will happen this week. I was told to pass that along, so do not despair. And if you haven't signed up, then definitely call the office and get yourself signed up because uh, James is going to be uh, eight, nine weeks, eight or nine weeks. So that'll be really good. Uh, to work through together. Um, I was doing a little bit of looking into Thanksgiving, and I discovered that it was actually President Abraham Lincoln who established Thanksgiving as a holiday in 1863 in America. And in Canada here, we grabbed onto that idea in 1879, but we sensibly moved it six weeks away from Christmas. Um, Our nation was only 12 years old, and we were already stealing American ideas and making them better. Um, But it's interesting. Just listen for a moment uh, as I read to you uh, the proclamation that that Lincoln gave to establish Thanksgiving. And if you don't know your American history, uh, 1863 is, as it turns out, the middle year of the Civil War, okay? And uh, so, so this is President Lincoln now establishing... Uh, by official proclamation, the holiday of Thanksgiving at the end of 1863. The year that is drawing toward its close has been filled with blessings of fruitful fields and healthful skies. To these bounties, which are so constantly enjoyed that we are prone to forget the source from which they come. Others have been added, which are of so extraordinary a nature that they cannot fail to penetrate and soften even the heart which is habitually insensible to the ever-watchful providence of Almighty God. No human counsel has devised, nor has any mortal hand worked out these things. They are the gracious gifts of the Most High God, who, while dealing with us in anger for our sins, has nevertheless remembered mercy." It has seemed to me fit and proper that they should be solemnly, reverently, and gratefully acknowledged as with one heart and one voice by the whole American people. I do therefore invite my fellow citizens in every part of the United States and those who are at sea and those who are sojourning in foreign lands to set apart and observe the last Thursday of November next as a day of thanksgiving and praise to our beneficent Father who dwells in the heavens. And... I recommend to them that while offering up the aspirations justly due to him for such singular deliverances and blessings as they do also with humble penitence for our national perverseness and disobedience, commend to his tender care all those who have become widows, orphans, mourners, or sufferers sufferers in, in the lamentable civil strife in which we are unavoidably engaged." And fervently implore the interposition of the almighty hand to heal the wounds of the nation and restore it. As soon as may be consistent with the divine purposes to the full enjoyment of peace, harmony, tranquility, and union. That's Proclamation 106, Thanksgiving Day, 1863. So just a few observations. It would be nice, first of all, to have a head of state to actually acknowledge the sovereignty and justice of God once in a while. That would be great. 
Um, even in the midst of a civil war, Lincoln viewed as a divine rebuke against the ungodliness of the United States at the time, he also saw the incredible mercy of God pouring out his blessings on the Union. And at the end of a very difficult and devastating year in history, Lincoln's desire was that Americans everywhere would be known as a people who are thankful, who give thanks to God. Every citizen, whether Confederate or Union, whether on home soil or at sea in other countries, all Americans would be noted and marked as a people who give thanksgiving to God. And that's kind of interesting. Last week, we looked very broadly at five distinct marks of a Christian life, the ways in which Christians should be identifiable as Christians. And, and this week being Thanksgiving, it seems appropriate to look at this specific mark, this trait among many that President Lincoln understood was to be the mark of people of God in the world, the mark of Thanksgiving. Christians everywhere, just like Americans everywhere, were meant to be seen as people who give thanks. Christians should be distinguished by the mark of thankfulness because thankfulness is a mark of God's grace. And we're going to examine this mark in terms of the directive or the command that Paul gives in 1 Thessalonians, the dynamic or the energy that powers it, and the doctrine or the truth that underpins it and gives us our Christian foundation for it. I love the English language because you can always come up with a biblical alliteration. The directive, the dynamic, and the doctrine. There's always a word that starts with the letter that you need in the English language. But let's just pray. We're going to look at 1 Thessalonians 5, uh, specifically 16 to 18, and we'll pray just before we do that. Father God, we thank you for your word. Uh, we thank you that we can be a thankful people and that you are going to show us even now in your word exactly how that comes about and why that comes about and the foundation on which it rests. And so, Father, we just give you thanks for that today and pray for your Holy Spirit to reveal in each one of us what you would have us know uh, for our each specific circumstance in life. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So our text comes in the middle of a larger list of um, commands or exhortations to behavior that Paul says to his church in Thessaloniki that these are things that should mark the Christian life. Paul says basically here, respect the people who work in ministry for you. He says, be at peace with one another. Uh, he says, tell lazy Christians to get to work, but at the same time, encourage the fearful and assist the weak. He says, be patient with all three of them. He concludes the list at the end with a list of religious duties, for lack of a better term. Don't suppress the Spirit of God. Don't be dismissive towards the teaching that you hear in the church. Test what you hear. Hold on to what is good. And finally, stay away from every kind of evil. But in the middle, we have a sentence here, uh, Thessalonians five sixteen to 18, where three imperatives are given. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And that's the text that we're looking at. And so the first thing that we're going to look at today is we're going to notice the, the directive or the command that is given. Give thanks in all circumstances. Now, it's very natural for Paul to assume as a consequence of the Christian life that thankfulness is something that should mark Christians. We should be seen as a thankful people and that we should be able to be thankful people despite what is going on around us. 
In Psalm 717, the psalmist writes, I will give thanks to the Lord because of his righteousness. I will give thanks to you forever, he says. I will give thanks to you in the great assembly among throngs of people. I will praise you. And then the psalmist kind of addresses the worshipers that are gathered with them, and he says to them, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name, for the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting, and his truth endures to all generations. And so it's always been the characteristic of God's people to be thankful people, to be entering into God's presence with thanksgiving. And so Paul here in the New Testament is not saying something new. He's continuing to say that God's people should be people who are marked by thanksgiving. In Ephesians 5, he says, Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead... Let there be thanksgiving. That's the Christian alternative. Thanksgiving replaces all the other kind of unthankful talk that might come out of our mouth. In Colossians chapter 2, he says, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught. What are these mature, abounding in the faith, rooted Christians going to be? Abounding in thanksgiving. That's the result of being a mature, rooted, faithful Christian is... It culminates in thanksgiving. And that word abounding, abounding in thanksgiving, I discovered when I clicked on the little interlinear Greek translation in my Bible software. I'm really thankful for Lagos, and uh, I'm thankful for Greek scholars who are smarter than me. Um, But that Greek word there, if you click on it in your Bible software, because I know you're all studying your Bible very carefully, uh, is parisio, and it means in such excess as to be overflowing. The adjective form of this word describes the food left over after Jesus fed the 5,000. It was overflowing. There was enough that there was more left over. Now, as many of you head out to your Thanksgiving dinners perhaps today, you may have pumpkin pie. And pumpkin pie needs whipped cream. Now, some people perhaps are the type that get a piece of pumpkin pie and they put like a dot in the middle of the pumpkin pie. And you get that served to you and you're wondering, where is the whipped cream? Other people might do a strip right down the middle. Other people will put, take the can and shake it, turn it upside down, and fill the plate so you can't even see the pie under the whipped cream. Amen, exactly. That's how you eat pumpkin pie. Some people, if they can get away with it, will just shoot the whipped cream straight into their mouth from the can. Yeah. But that is how we are to be with our thankfulness. We are to be abounding in it. We are to be overflowing with thankfulness. This is how we are to be, whether you're a Christian in Thessaloniki, Christians in Ephesus, Christians in Colossae, Christians everywhere, at sea or abroad, wherever you are, Christians everywhere are to be overflowing and spilling over with thankfulness. Now, it's easy to be thankful when you have a can of whipped cream and you have pie to put it on. But but what could hinder our thankfulness? And Paul addresses that right away. He says within the directive to be thankful, he says in all circumstances. Christians specifically are not just abundantly thankful when they have an abundance of pie. Christians are thankful on those days when there's very little pie or there's no pie or somebody has stolen your pie. Those days when there's no job, when there seems to be no close friendships, when nobody is lying in bed beside you because sickness or age has taken them from you. And we wonder, even as Christians, in those days when every good thing has seemed to have left our lives, can we abound in thanksgiving in those days? 
when the doctor's prognosis is bad, when the test results are negative, meaning bad results. Some people, perhaps many people here today or listening online, are in those kinds of circumstances right now. They are struggling with a spirit of disappointment because of the state of things that are going on in their lives. In fact, churches are full of people who are trying to be thankful when there is very little to be thankful for. And in fact, if you've only been attending church for a little while, or you have just sort of dipping your toes into these waters of Christianity, one of the things that you may wonder is, and be confused about as you go to church, is that you see people around you who you know are struggling in just as dire or worse circumstances than you, but those people keep showing up to church every week and singing thanks and praise to God. And you're wondering why. Why are these people who have nothing on the surface to be thankful for praising? How do Christians do that? How do Christians experience the same griefs of life as everyone else, but are so constantly thankful? Well, our text gives us a clue to how it's possible. We've had the directive of the command. We've had the the imperative to be thankful and to be abounding in thankfulness. But what powers that thankfulness? What is the dynamic of it? What is the dynamo? What is the dynamism, the power that thanksgiving is possible even in disappointing circumstances? Well, he has said, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. The Bible does not just give us supernatural commands without also providing supernatural enabling. Christians are able to give thanks in all circumstances because it is God's will working through Christ Jesus for us. The verses following right after here in uh, 1 Thessalonians 5 actually help us understand this even more clearly. Paul says just a few verses later on, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. You see, we get this supernatural command to be thankful in all circumstances when there's no right for us to be thankful. And then... God says, but I will give you the power to do it. It's the will of me in Christ Jesus for you, and the God of peace is going to sanctify you. He is faithful. He's going to do it. He's going to give you the power. Sanctify isn't one of those words we use every day in normal conversation, but to sanctify something is to set it apart for the specific use of God. It means to cleanse it and transform something common into something holy. And God says, I am going to do that for you, Christians, through Christ Jesus, I will sanctify you, and you will find in yourself something new that you never had before. And so when we ask ourselves, how will I be able to follow this command to be thankful, even as I'm sitting here today in church, or I'm listening online, and I know it's Thanksgiving Day, but honestly, I'm not feeling very thankful because of what's going on in my marriage, or what's going on with my kids, or what's going on in my health, or what's going on with my job, or the things that people have said about me, or what is happening in my life, I don't feel thankful. How am I supposed to obey this command? It's because God is making you something new, something holy, something capable of doing it. If we were to switch over to Philippians, Paul says it this way. He says, For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. We did a whole series on Philippians last year that actually started exactly at this time last year. And that whole book of Philippians is essentially one long lesson on being thankful or joyful in every circumstance, even as Paul writes that letter from a prison cell. 
And you say, I don't feel thankful. And that's very likely true, but God enables us to thankfulness. You say, but my circumstances are painful and disheartening. And we understand that. But God is energizing us from within by his spirit. He is saying to us, even through our tears, even through our pain and through our disappointment, even through the loss of a business or the collapse of a relationship, whatever it might be, he says, come and give thanks and enjoy the respite, enjoy the pleasure of being able to have a thankful heart, even in your circumstances. You don't need to be brokenhearted. You can have a thankful heart by the power that I have given you and by the truth that is your reality in Christ Jesus. I will enable you to have the respite of a thankful heart. Where do I get that from? Well, if we hop back to Paul's teaching on this in Colossians again, remember what Paul said at the beginning of that Colossians section. He said, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught. Just look at that opening phrase. Paul says, where is this abounding in thanksgiving and come from? He says, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord. That's how we're able to walk this way. That's how we as Christians are able to bear the marks of thanksgiving, even when our circumstances don't seem to indicate that we should. So that's a problem. If, if you are struggling to be thankful in thankless circumstances, here could be the problem. If you've not received Jesus, if you've not put your hope in him, if you've not put your trust in him, then you won't be able to be thankful in all circumstances. The Bible and Christianity will be a monumental frustration and failure to you if you try and do any of these commands without Jesus. We were never meant to do these things apart from the indwelling spirit of Jesus Christ. Paul does not walk into these ancient cities telling everybody, I I see that you all live in a nice place here and you seem like well-adjusted middle-class people with decent educations. I think you should all be a little more thankful. Go on then, just, you know, just be more thankful people. Try to be a little more joyful too. Maybe try praying once in a while. Be nice and joyful and thankful and, and see if you can't just do better than you have because you seem like good people. That's not Christianity. That's not what Paul is saying. It isn't even reality. Nobody is successful at that self-empowerment, unless they really are middle-class, comfortable, secure, well-educated people living in enjoyable circumstances. Anybody can be thankful then. I mean, give me a perfect marriage, give me perfect kids, give me a perfect life, a perfect job. That's not going to happen here. But, um, you know, give me those things, and I can be thankful all the time. If I'm going to be thankful apart from those things, I need something else. It's not because we are good people or that we have great circumstances that Christians are able to be thankful. It's because we have Jesus Christ. It's easy to be thankful when you have pie. You can only be thankful when you have Jesus Christ if there is no pie. And God offers that superior experience joy and peace and thankfulness, even when circumstances are not, even when someone steals our pie, or even when we've messed up and lost our pie, he says, you can be thankful. So the first thing a person has to ask is, if they want that supernatural joy, if they want that supernatural thankfulness, is whether they have put their faith and their trust and their hope entirely in Jesus and given up all of their own striving and all of their own working hard at justifying themselves as a good person who can prove to God how good they are. If only he will just look at the good days and ignore the bad days, they will pass the test. 
The bad news has to come first. You don't pass the test. You're not going to, and you can't. The good news that comes after is that you don't have to pass the test because God has done it for you in Jesus. Now, this needs to be pointed out because the reason so many people find it impossible to be thankful in hard circumstances is because they don't have the power. They don't have the energy. They don't have the dynamism of God at work in them through Jesus. They've not bowed their head and surrendered their life to him. They've not said, I'm weak and you're strong. Instead, what has happened is people have bought into that non-Christian, that religious philosophy maybe that Paul, that I gave as an example that Paul didn't preach. They've heard people tell them, you know, you should be educated enough. You should be well-adjusted enough. You should be cared for enough. You should be loved enough. You should be everything enough that you should be able to be a good person and a thankful person and a kind person. And they've assimilated various religious ideas from here and there, picking them up as they watch daytime TV and read the latest books. They've come up with some ideas on their own about what they think God should be like and what they think their life should be like, mainly that God should judge other people but be gracious to them, inadvertently admitting that they need grace. And then they've tacked on some ethical and moral scaffolding on their lives as they try to live a good life, a moral life, a thankful life, a kind life, but they all fail the moment they get an unexpected tax bill or it rains on the day of their picnic or the medical tests come back positive. And they say, there is no way I'm going to be thankful in this. I can't be thankful in these circumstances. And they are right. Because if all you have powering your joy and your thankfulness is whatever you have built around yourself in your life, you don't have the power of Christ at work in you. This is what I mean. You could, you could give me a few chapters of Tolstoy's writings and then ask me to write a novel. I can't do it. You can give me several paintings by Robert Bateman and ask me to paint a nature scene and I will utterly fail. You can set before me the life of Jesus Christ and say, live a life like Jesus, and I can't do that either. But if the genius of Tolstoy could come and inhabit my mind, I could write like he writes. If the skill of Bateman could reside in my hands, I could paint as he paints. And if the spirit and power of Jesus can come and live in my soul, then I can live as he lives. But I can't do it unless that genius, unless that power, unless that spirit inhabits me. And the message of Christianity then is not to try to be what you are not. Don't try to be Tolstoy. Don't try to be Bateman. Don't even try to be Jesus. You cannot try to be what you are not. It is to admit what you are. And very few people want to admit what they are. Sinners in need of grace. But that is exactly how we can become something new and supernatural. Someone that bears the marks of Jesus Christ. Someone that bears the marks of thankfulness in all circumstances, no matter what is going on in our lives. Christians can abound with overflowing of thankfulness to God because he has transformed us and he has given us the power to do it. We will have the power to be thankful people, not when there's a reason to give thanks, but when it appears there is no reason to. But finally... It's kind of interesting, in fact, when you come to know the person of Jesus and the promises of God, you discover as Christians that there actually is a foundation for our thankfulness. And it's not the things that are going on around us in the world. There is an underpinning to our thankfulness that goes far deeper. It goes way down deep in the bedrock of our life. 
And it's so down deep in the bedrock of the Christian life that all other experiences in our life just kind of are vapor. They just float over top of it like nothing and can never affect and can never shake what our thankfulness is truly rooted in. And that is the doctrine or truth that underpins our thankfulness. Paul has established our foundation already in the, earlier in this verse of Thessalonians. He says, For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, that means alive or dead, we might live with him. That's where our thankfulness comes from. That's the bedrock of it. Among the many other supernatural realities of our salvation is this foundation of Christian thankfulness. Whether we're among the living or the dead, our eternal life is secure in Jesus. Whether we're enjoying life abundantly or feeling the pangs of death, our salvation is assured. And so we look at things that are going on in our life, and whether they are life-giving or seem to be death-provoking, they do not impact our thankfulness because we have this bedrock. Paul says of himself while he's sitting in a jail cell, remember, in Philippians, wondering whether he will live or die, he says, I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound, whether I have no pie or lots of pie. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. It's the power of Christ Jesus in him that lets him have this power despite his circumstances to be thankful and to rejoice. A secret, Paul says, a secret, something not everyone has discovered. Not everybody on planet Earth knows this, but Paul knows it. What is the secret? He knows something. He tells us in Romans 8 what he knows. And we, as Christians, know, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. All things are working together for our good. We know that we have eternal life in Jesus, and we know that through the sovereignty of God that all things, all circumstances, regardless of what they are, are being worked for our good. And some of the all things that we are experiencing in our lives as Christians don't fall into the category of causing us to be easily thankful, like Paul's being in prison. It's not an easy thing to be thankful while you're in prison for wrong purposes. It's not an easy thing to be thankful when people are slandering you. It's not an easy thing to be thankful when you've lost your job. It's not an easy thing to be thankful when things that should be going right are going wrong. But the task of conforming us into the image and likeness of Jesus that God is doing does not involve giving us the government we want, the job we want, making sure our family is always intact and that everyone we know lives to be 100, is never sick, and dies peacefully in their sleep on their 101st birthday. If that's what the Christian life was supposed to look like, then none of us here, and certainly not me, have anything to say to you. Because this gathering of believers, and believers and Christians everywhere, all through time, all around the world, experience pain and disappointment and collapse and confusion, and yet all of those Christians stand on the doctrine, the truth, the foundation, that God is working all things to their good, that he is in control of all things, that he is conforming us into the image of his Son, that he is faithful to sanctify us, and that we are secure in our salvation, even if our circumstances kill us, as Job says, though he slay me. I will trust in him. That's what Christians stand on. 
So you look at a Christian life and you think they have no reason to be thankful. And the Christian says, I have every reason to be thankful. Because none of this matters. Not ultimately. This is all being worked by my great God to my good. And at the end of the day, as Job said, even if it slays me, even if these circumstances take me from this life, my glorification and security and eternal life with God is secure. Amen. God is in charge of bringing this salvation about. He's bringing it to to reality within us. Romans chapter 8 also says this, that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. I just want you to think about that. The implication. He's talking about creation. He's talking about how creation itself is finally going to be set free from all this corruption that we see around it. It's going to be remade and it's going to obtain freedom. Amazing. What freedom does creation obtain? It obtains the glory of the children of God. Just think about the implication of that. The children of God will one day be glorified, will be seen in glory. All these circumstances in our lives will eventually fall away like scaffolding to reveal what was actually being built as God had this scaffolding around our lives. All these circumstances, good and bad, some of that scaffolding is rickety, some of it's falling down, but that scaffolding of our lives is all going to get taken down and we are going to be revealed in glory on the last day. As the glorified children of God that all creation is yearning to join into, it would be a shame if on that day you discovered that your life is all wrapped up in the scaffolding. I hope it's not. I hope in your life your attention and your hope is not in the scaffolding. The scaffolding, the circumstances that are going on in our life are not our ultimate hope. Our ultimate hope is that we will be glorified as children of God. Back in the summer, as we were going through Ecclesiastes, I came across an old hymn from 1858 that I think is a good reminder to us here. As we seek to bear the proper marks of being a thanksgiving people as Christians in all circumstances, the hymn is, My God, I Thank Thee, by Adelaide Proctor. And here's how it goes. The third verse is, I thank you, too, that all my joy is touched with pain, that shadows fall on brightest hours and thorns remain, so that earth's joys may be my guide and not my chain. So our circumstances, whether joyful or hurtful, are not meant to capture our attention, are not meant to be what binds us. They are the scaffolding that will fall away. It is impossible to live this life thankful in all and every circumstance, apart from knowing that it is empowered by God and underpinned by the unshakable truth that the shadows and the thorns and the pains are being miraculously used to loosen our grasp on the world and to take hold of the sure salvation of Jesus Christ. And if you don't have that sure salvation, then you won't understand anything about what I'm talking about today. You'll just be looking at what's going on in your life and wondering, how can it be possible that I can be thankful? Even as my child dies, even as I go bankrupt, even as I get the cancer diagnosis, even as my marriage ends, how can I ever be thankful? Brothers and sisters, you can be thankful, not in those things, but in the reality of what God is doing in your life and the glorification that is to come. So just as Mr. Lincoln saw his country in one of the worst years of its history, torn apart by civil war, 
facing hardship at home, facing humiliation from nations abroad. He turned the nation's attention back to God and said, this looks like a bad year, and it might be easy to forget, but we have a great and merciful God who is still bountiful in his mercy towards us. There may be a civil war going on in your own life, internally in your own emotions, externally with family or friends, culturally with our nation. We have lots of wars going on in our life. But Christians, we will be marked by an overflowing abundance of thankfulness that Jesus is our Savior, that all of our circumstances are being worked to our good, and that our good is our ultimate eternal presence with God in His glory. And that's why we're able to be thankful. It's easy to forget sometimes. I'm thankful for President Lincoln for reminding us why we're thankful. It's not because we have pie It's not because we have turkey. It's because we have a God whose patience and mercy and love for us continues to pour out even in the circumstances that don't seem like they're very thankful. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this reality that underpins our thankfulness, that Christ has gone to the cross, that he has died, that he's our salvation, that we don't have to work that is not pulling ourselves up by our own bootstraps, that we're going to find in ourselves some, you know, grit our teeth and just put on a smile and be happy people. But that, in fact, you've given us real cause to be thankful. You've given us real power to be thankful. You've given us this command that Christians everywhere, at home and abroad, around this world, would be marked as thankful people. And so, God, help us to be that by your Holy Spirit. And, Father, if there's anyone here listening now or listening later, Father, they would understand that try as they might to come up with an ethic, come up with the power within themselves to be nice, happy, joyful, thankful, loving people. It will ultimately depend on their circumstances. And that if they really want the security of a thankful heart, if they really want the security of rejoicing in all circumstances, if they really want security of being sanctified and made something transformed and new and the security of eternal life with you, then they can find it in Jesus Christ. And that they might do that even today. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.